Right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all stay. Morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this new week that you have provided for us, for the beauty of creation that surrounds us, and for the promise, the covenant promise in Christ that that contains the um, the gospel, um, forgiveness of sins, um, eternal life, your your spirit, which you have sent to dwell with us, Lord, in all these things, we thank you and we give you thanks and praise for, 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 for these gifts of special grace. And Lord, we ask now that as we open up your word to get a greater glimpse of who you are, that you would continue to speak to us and sanctify us through your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, we are now... Uh, racing through the attributes, I think we week 17 already, and we, we're getting towards the end of the attributes. Um, this morning we're going to look at uh, the wrath of God, um, and as we'll see, the God's attributes, they, they are connected to each other. They kind of build off each other. So um, bear that in mind when um, yeah, as we look at uh, God's wrath. Now, I'm completely aware that in uh, you know, church culture even, or certainly our broader culture, there's a huge aversion to even speaking about the, the wrath of God. I mean, it really defies modern sensibilities. Um, I think, and then with, within um, Christian circles, there's this, kind of characterization of the, uh, you know, pitting the God of the Old Testament against the God of, of the New Testament and sort of characterizing the God of the Old Testament as a big, bad, evil guy who likes to zap everyone and, you know, the earth swallows up and, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, the God's wrath is, is seen to be much more exhibited in the Old Testament where in the New Testament yeah, it's all about love and grace and flowers and, and all of that. And um, obviously, as we're going to see in yeah, this uh, session, that's, you know, that's a complete misunderstanding of God's character and um, even, yeah, in, even in terms of how we look at um, the Old Testament, New Testament. We can't unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. Remember, it's one story <laughs> of God that starts in Genesis and um, comes to fulfillment in, in Revelation. Um, so we've got to see the Bible as a unit and not sort of parcel things up. Now, um, this aversion to, to the wrath of God is in church history a relatively recent aversion. Um, you know, certainly the, you know, the reformers, uh, in, in the 16th century, or even the, the Roman Catholic Church of, of that time had no problem talking about the wrath of God. Um, not at all. Um, it's the kind of issues with God's wrath come about in the age of enlightenment. And the fruit of enlightenment is, was theological liberalism, which we still, in a lot of ways, live with today. A lot of, in many senses, the air that we breathe. And um, theologian called Niebuhr, he was um, 
kind of commenting on the rise of, Protest, of liberalism in, in, in the Protestant church, he, he said this. He said, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. So you can see he's really, I mean, he's, he's, he's no friend of liberalism. Okay? He's critiquing um, liberalism in a big way and just showing that if, if, you, if you remove the wrath of God from the equation, really, in a sense, the whole gospel falls apart. So it's, it's important for us to, to gain a, a biblical understanding of the wrath of God because there are also some unbiblical understandings of the wrath of God, which we'll, we'll um, get to. So just for the sake of clarification, no listed the wrath of God under the attributes of God. <laughs> I think we, I need to clarify things here. That we need we, the Bible reveals God's wrath in a way that He doesn't reveal His His love. Like Gary, okay. So God is love. Okay, it's in His essence. It's in His being. One John four eight. But we don't speak about the wrath of God in the same way. We don't say God is wrath. Okay, well, at least that's not how Scripture communicates uh, things. In, instead, God certainly has wrath. Okay, but his wrath is, is in response to his holiness and his righteousness. Okay, so he is holy, he is righteous. And because he is holy and, and he is righteous... Well, his response then to sin is wrath. That's why Psalm 7 verse 11 says that God feels indignation every day. I mean, there's a whole host of scriptures in a similar vein that I could read regarding God's wrath that are similar to this. Okay, so it's an important point here that that God is, is... Yes, he, he demonstrates his wrath towards sin, um, but it's because of his attributes of holiness and righteousness. Are there any questions regarding this so far? Okay. Now, the other thing we need to understand about the wrath of God is that we must distinguish God's wrath from ideas of of wrath that are more associated with paganism. Yeah, the idea that God is wrathful, yeah, we mustn't have these caricatures of him sort of willy-nilly, you know, zapping people just because of the fun of it. You know, like these pagan gods and, and goddesses of Rome and Greece, you know, who would sort of, you know, the images of them just sending lightning bolts on, on people at, at random. <laughs> okay, that's not what the biblical, how the biblical... Uh, the biblical data reveals the wrath of, of God. God's wrath is, is not pernicious. Okay, it's not irrational. And my professor, Michael Horton, he said this. He said, God's wrath is always expressed in his wisdom and judgment and even his love. Okay, now, it's this point that I think we need to, to zone in on because this is really important and is also for for your guys sake kind of a form of say apologetics when you 
are ministering to, to people who are, have got questions about the Christian faith. And this issue is usually one issue that unbelievers kind of bring against the Christian faith. Saying, how can you guys worship a God who is wrathful and kills people and, you know, the earth swallows them up. And, you know, we heard a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Brian DeFries, you know, the Holy Spirit killed Ananias and Sapphira. How can you worship God like that? Okay, well, ultimately, we've got to see here that the wrath of God is good news. And this is, is why. Okay, if God, okay, because, it's precisely because God is perfect in his goodness and his love, is, that's the reason why he must reveal his wrath against evil and sin. I mean, if God was indifferent to evil, okay, if he just wasn't bothered at the slaughter of innocent people, if he wasn't bothered about the rape of women and abuse of children and all sorts of heinous injustices, if he just, if all of these things just came before him and he was, he just sort of shrugged his shoulders and, no, 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 I just love everyone. You know, everything is okay. Well, what kind of God would that God be? He'd be an evil God. But it's precisely because he detests evil. That he shows wrath to the wicked. His just, he is a God of justice. Okay, the, the, um, the penalty of sin is death. There's a price to be paid for sin. And that price is, is exercised through the, well, the, the, the wrath of God. Okay, he's a righteous judge. He cannot let evil go unpunished. So we can say that his, his goodness drives him to punish sin. Any questions so far? Yes, any. Yes, I think there's certainly that in terms of when they look at them, when we look at ourselves, you know, we, we're not bad, you know, no, we have a couple of mistakes here, but I mean, it's those guys who are bad. But you see, this is where you can still, you know, turn it around. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation about convincing sort of middle class people in the upper highway that they're totally depraved, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and... Um, but the, the, the other way you can come at about, about it um, is through, well, what is God's response to Hitler? What is God's response to Stalin? What is God's response to the Holocaust and genocide and, and kind of blatant evil that no one can deny? How's God, how does he respond to that? 
Is he just going to wink it away? Well, okay, that, that's a great point. And, but you see, that, that patience has been initiated since uh, the Noahic covenant. Okay, so this is, and this is still the age that we're in. So, in, so from, obviously, Genesis 6, you see God um, really, you know, outraged really, at the, the state of human depravity. It gets to such a point that he is just, I mean, it says, the text says he regretted he made mankind. I mean, it's a strong statement. And so therefore he sends the, the flood in judgment and in a sense recreates humanity, preserving his seed, preserving um, Noah and, and, and his family. And then after the flood, part of that Noah covenant is, is that um, he Preserve, he establishes common grace. And so this era now, which we are still in, this covenant that is made to all of creation, um, that God is never again going to destroy the earth with, by his wrath, as he did with, with Noah. He's going to preserve the seasons and the times and the crops and all that. But that's just a temporary reprieve. Because ultimately... His wrath is coming one day. There is going to be a day of judgment where um, all wrongs um, will, be, will be righted. It's not to say that in this common grace era, God doesn't display his wrath. We know that he certainly does, but it's not on an international scale like we see with the flood. Okay, so where is he see God... Um, well, God's judgment on the, the pagan nations around Israel, he obliterates them, not because he's an evil, genocidical maniac. It's because of sin, and the penalty of sin is death. The, God judges the Canaanites because of their sin that has been piling up in the land all, all that time. The same way he judges Israel as well when they break the covenant um, and sends them into exile, okay? then brings back a, a remnant, yeah, according to his covenant of grace, and he establishes them again in, in, in the land. And then you can see you know, evidence of God's wrath even in the New Testament, we saw Ananias and, and, and Sapphira. So, um, but the ultimate wrath, that is, we enter reprieve at the moment, and that is to come. Okay, so this is... Um, this is why God sent us a savior. Because what, what is it that Jesus comes to save us from? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the text of Scripture is, 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 is clear on that. I mean, he's, Jesus comes to save us from the wrath of God. Yeah. Yeah, I know, it's, it's ridiculous. People are embarrassed of 
the word of God. So Jesus came to save us from the wrath of God, which ultimately is manifested in hell. Okay, the lake of fire. Okay, hell, we must get away from these, you know, medieval uh, caricatures of hell being that of Satan's domain and him poking people with a pitched fork and him laughing. No. Okay, hell, ultimate, hell, even hell is God's domain. It's the pure manifestation of his wrath where even Satan will be suffering for all eternity and all God's um, enemies will be subjected to his wrath. Welcome, Kevin. Um, will be subjected to his wrath for, for all eternity. So hell is... The manifestation of the wrath of God is hell, which is justice for, for the wicked. But because of God's mercy, okay, God, from his plan of redemption, from you know, in eternity, covenant of redemption to the, you know, his promise to save a people for himself in Genesis 3, 15, um, He's, that's, this is precisely why he sends Jesus. And so for those of us who, for those of, of us who are God's elect, although we deserve to face God's wrath because of sins, every single one of us, because of God's mercy, he sent his only son, Jesus, to take upon himself that wrath which was meant for us. So on the cross, Jesus faced hell. He faced the wrath of God as he carried upon his shoulders at that moment in time every single one of our sins. The sins of the elect he carried upon himself on the cross. And so Jesus, there was that moment, that heartbreaking moment on the cross. Jesus cries out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that, he is, that point, he is carrying upon him the sins of his people. He faces the wrath of God, which is the, the removal of God's favor. And I just think the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit enjoyed perfect, beautiful fellowship for all eternity. And this... For the first time in redemptive history, the son does not know the favor and the love of his father. Instead, the father turns away because he placed upon himself the punishment that was meant for us. Okay, they must understand the Trinity never separated from each other. Okay, that's impossible. But it was the face of God turned away from the son at that point, and we call this the, you know, you know, it's in Romans 3, 1, John 2, the, the propitiation. Okay? Jesus made propitiation for the sins of his people. And what we mean by that is Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God that we deserved. And in exchange, oh, we deserved wrath, and Jesus deserved only favor and blessing. An exchange happened. Um, on the cross and that we receive through Christ favor and blessing because Christ took what, what we 
deserve. So Christ, therefore, is our propitiation for sins. Welcome, Ryan. And so this is why John 3, verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And there you have really the, the heart of the gospel and the propitiatory work that Jesus has done for us, that believing, trusting in Christ's work on the cross, so facing God's wrath on our behalf, we receive eternal life. We receive this gift of grace, undeserved gift of grace, and we receive it by faith alone in Christ alone. But yet if one chooses not to believe that and chooses to reject what, what, is, uh, what Christ has done for us, well, the text says that the wrath of God remains on them. So this is serious stuff. Jesus, can, I mean, can you see why this issue of the wrath of God is so important? It's interconnected with the very heart of the gospel. Any questions at this point? Well, to wind up. All right. Well, then let's pray. Father God, we come before you in awe and, and reverence and, and even healthy fear, knowing that. Lord, you, you alone hold the, know the end from the beginning. Lord, you are holy and righteous. And Lord, you exercise um, your, your wrath to sinners. But Father, thank you that in Christ, trusting in what he has done for us, we have this hope that and, and promise that no, we don't receive what we deserve in Christ. Thank you that Christ has taken upon himself your wrath for us and instead has granted us this gift of grace, of eternal life, of forgiveness of sins. So Lord, we are in wonder and awe of, of you and what you've done for us in Christ. So Lord, prepare our hearts now as we as we pray for the worship service. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.